0: Sentire Media. Hello everyone. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 110. Cola fizzes and goes flat. 1347 to
1: 1353 colli nelle salici piangenti. ritrovo la speranza di un amore
0: Before we start the episode, a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is presented by Clark's. Clark's story began almost 200 years ago when Cyrus and James Clark made a slipper from sheepskin. At the time, it was groundbreaking. A combination of invention and craftsmanship that's remained at the heart of what Clarks does. From the very beginning, Clarks has always thought differently. Brilliant ideas are what set Clarks apart. We are teaming up with Clarks and good old Podgo to bring you up to 30% off select items, including on the iconic Clarks Desert Boot by going to podgo.co slash clerks. That's podgo.co slash clerks. In the last episode, we saw the rise to power in Rome of Nicola di Lorenzo Gabrini, known to his friends as Cola di Rienzo. He had risen to prominence in Rome from humble origins to become a notary and a very capable orator. He had been up to Avignon to see Pope Clement VI who had made him a notary of the Apostolic Chamber and given him his blessing to go and help sort out Rome, which at the time was ruled by the anarchy of roving bands of thugs who answered to the various noble families. Carla had gone back to Rome sorted out the finances, made the city safer and even bent the noble families to his will and kept them in check for the time being. Okay, so now imagine you are in that position. You are the de facto leader of Rome, albeit with another papal representative. You have been made a tribune, reminding you of the ancient glory of the empire there are various ways you could decide to proceed. On one end of this spectrum of choices, you could continue to do what you were doing with your buono stato, the good state, continue to apply your ordinances and implement new ones, keeping in mind the well-being of the people of Rome and maintain universal justice for both rich and poor. On the other hand, you could let all the power go to your head, start going crazy, and imagine you are the next emperor of a newly reborn Roman Empire. Unfortunately, Carla went for the latter. Initially, his grandiose ideas didn't seem too terrible. He got in touch with all of the leaders of the Italian peninsula and called them to a conference in Rome, to discuss the possibility of a great Italian federation. Obviously, this great alliance would be led by the ancient capital, Rome, and, well, would you look at that? Who was in charge in Rome at the moment? Well, Carla. Who, me? Leader of a new Italian federation? No, I couldn't. Well, well, if you insist. Can you imagine the response of the Dodger of Venice, the Republic of Genoa, Florence, the Visconti, the Este, the Aragonese kings in Sicily? Would they all come along, hand in hand, skipping and singing to submit to their great leader Carla di Rienzo? Of course they wouldn't. Interestingly, the Kingdom of Naples did although they didn't actually come skipping and singing as far as I know. But put a pin in that for the moment, for it will take us to the next episode. Back to Colla. He didn't let the lack of enthusiasm from the Italian leaders get him down. After all, he now knew he was destined for greatness. Indeed, it was at this time that he started to claim that he was no other than the illegitimate son of Holy Roman Emperor Henry VII. The Emperor had been camped outside of the walls of Rome back in 1313 and had snuck into the city for a little hanky-panky with none other than Cola's good old mum. At least, that was what Cola claimed. At this point, Carla had himself knighted, which got people mumbling under their breaths, and then he went on to knight friends and family members, including his son. His very big no-no was for his ceremony when he bathed in the basin of Emperor Constantine in the Lateran Palace. This was supposed to have been the basin in which the great emperor had bathed and been cured of leprosy, helping his conversion to Christianity on its way. This direct association of Carla between Constantine and himself did not go down well at all, especially with his co-ruler, the other tribune, Bishop Raymond, who complained and was, therefore, swiftly deposed. Now Carla was in full charge he came up with a new snazzy title for himself, which was a bit of a mouthful. Candidate of the Holy Spirit, Knight, Nicholas, Severe and Clement, Liberator of the City, Zealot of Italy, and Tribune Augustus. It was the Augustus bit that sort of bugged people, and when he took to calling his wife Livia although that wasn't actually her name, the reference could not be clearer. As Carla continued to act more autocratically, arrogantly and erratically, not only the nobles, but also the people of Rome, started to lose their enthusiasm for him. This was all too much also for one of Colla's most important supporters, the Pope, who, after trying to bring Carla to heel, Threatening to disallow the jubilee sent a delegate to Rome to depose him Aware of the waning support for the tribune, the Roman nobles managed to band together and send an army to Rome on November twentieth thirteen forty seven while Carla organized the citizens to defend the city. The ensuing short clash came to be known as the Battle of Porta San Lorenzo. The Baronial army marched in three separate columns, coming in one after the other. The first two led by Petruccio Frangipane, of the ancient family of that name, while the third and last column was led by Giovanni Colonna, son of Stefano Colonna the Younger, son in turn of Stefano Colonna, you guessed it, the elder. The leaders were highly confident of their success because they had managed to convince the prefect of Rome, Giovanni di Vico, to betray Cola and have the gates open to the invading army. Unfortunately for them, the plot had been discovered and the guards had been changed. Unable to convince the new guards to open, the first two columns gave up and managed to retreat. However, as the third column, led by Giovanni Colonna, passed by the closed gate, they found it open. Giovanni assumed that the first columns had breached the gate and charged in. Unfortunately for him, he was the only one. His soldiers stood around and watched him go in, thinking... Yeah, you go ahead, we'll join you later. The citizens inside first fled and then, when they understood that there was only one man in the charge, they turned on him, pulled him from his horse, stripped him of his belongings and killed him. Meanwhile, his father, Stefano Colonna, was desperately looking for his son. He entered the city and found his body. Before he could escape, he was also attacked and killed. In his gamble, Stefano Colonna the Elder had not only lost the battle but also his son and his grandson. The citizen militia poured out of the city and, taking the baronial army by surprise, sent them fleeing. Rather than press his advantage, Carla called off the attack to celebrate leaving many of the nobles to fight another day. It's not clear what part Carla himself actually played in the battle, but it seems he refused to reward any of those who helped him, further alienating his potential allies. Meanwhile, due to the sabotage actions of the nobles, food shortages started. Even Carla's friend, Petrarch sent him a letter telling him off on the 15th of December, 1347, after the great poet had enthusiastically supported Carla at the beginning. Now, abandoned by almost everyone, Carla, after only seven months of his good state, fled the city. He first escaped to Naples, followed by agents of the barons and the papal inquisition. However, it was at this point that Carla found a silver lining in a situation which was a disaster of epic proportions for the medieval world, the arrival of a little thing called the plague. Dirienzo managed to escape and hide out with a community of Franciscan monks, escaping persecution in the mountains of Abruzzo. Quick digression here. More than one listener has written in, asking to know more about the region of Abruzzo. It seems there are a lot of Abruzzesi spread around the world. So, since I'm always open to my lovely listener's requests, we will be doing an interview with an original Abruzzese and historian Marco Capelli of Storia d'Italia. It won't be for a while, but things are in motion. Anyway, back to Carla di Rienzo. After a couple of years in hiding, he made his way up to Prague, to the court of Charles IV, King of Bohemia. Karla must have been able to muster some of his old charisma and managed to charm Charles, but in the end, he was handed over to the Pope. Things, however, did not go as badly as they could have. Karla was indeed a prisoner and put on trial but his was a comfortable imprisonment and he started to grow fat. His evident penitence and desire to please the Pope saw him win out in the end and he was cleared of all charges of heresy. While Carla was in Avignon, stuffing his face, Pope Clement VI died and was replaced by Pope Innocent the Sixth. Meanwhile, back in Rome things descended into chaos again, as once more roving bands at the hire of the nobles took over. Another revolution was attempted under a man named Giovanni Cerroni. Nothing came of it. In early 1353, the nobles once more actually got together, and Bertoldo Orsini and Stefaniello Colonna tried to set up a two-man rule which ended very quickly when Orsini was stoned to death. The families attempted with other relatives, but the whole thing came crashing down in September 1353, when one of Carla's followers, a man by the name of Francesco Baroncelli, also tried to copy his mentor's revolution and took power. The new pope, Innocent VI, followed the events with increasing worry he looked around for a solution. Wouldn't you know it, with food in his mouth and his nose in a book, was a man who had saved Rome once before, Nicola di Lorenzo Gabrini. So it was that in late 1353, Carla was sent back to Rome again to try and save the situation once more. He was acclaimed by the people on his arrival. However, where there had once been a young, handsome and energetic man, there was now an older, heavily overweight figure. The oratory skills were the same though, and so the Romans, for the time, proved themselves to be better than a bit of body shaming and put their trust in him again. The previous leader of Rome, Baroncelli, was sent away and Carla could get back down to business again. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that at this point an older, wiser caller could have learned his lesson, treaded the straight and narrow, and learned from his mistakes. That was not the case at all. He went right back to his despotic ways the barons were not having any of it. Stefaniello Colonna very quickly rebelled. Then, when a known mercenary captain came to Rome, trying to cash in on a considerable sum that Cola owed him, said captain was summarily executed. This was another strike against the returning leader in the eyes of the Roman people, as the captain had been a popular hero of theirs. Then, once again, with the nobles raiding the countryside, supplies started to become scarce. Supplies started to become scarce in the city, and even worse, Carla was running out of money to pay his mercenaries, the ones that kept him safe. He started to drink and appeared drunk in public, and had a Roman politician who spoke out against him, summarily executed, and often arrested people seemingly just to take their wealth. On the morning of October 8th, 1354, Colla was roused from his bed to the sounds of an angry mob on the Capitoline Hill, who were calling for the death of the traitor Colla di Rienzo. He tried to do what he knew best, and make an impassioned speech from the balcony, but he was met with a hail of rocks. The palace was set on fire, but he managed to escape using a rope of bedsheets. He was soon found and dragged to the spot where he had had other men executed recently. After a moment of silence, in which he and the crowd stared each other down, He was attacked and stabbed so many times that his body was said to have looked like a sieve. Then he was dragged to Piazza Marcello and strung up. His second period of rule had lasted 70 days. His body was burned, albeit slowly, and his ashes cast into the Tiber. Despite his decline into despotism and his rather ignominious ending, Carlo di Rienzo's legacy was quite kind to him. In time, he was remembered as a liberator from the oppression of the barons and became an important symbol of the Italian unification during the Risorgimento in the 19th century. Richard Wagner dedicated his first successful opera Rienzi to the man in 1840, and Edward Bulwark Lytton published a novel based on his life. After the unification of Italy, a statue was dedicated to him as well as a square and a road. Despite his very many shortcomings, history has been good to Nicola di Lorenzo Gabrini. We just need to resurrect him for one more thing. We mentioned that when Colla had consolidated his power over Rome, he had reached out to the other leaders on the Italian Peninsula. The only significant answer came from the Kingdom of Naples. There was a succession dispute there, after the death of King Robert of Naples and Anjou, between another Angevin, King Louis I of Hungary, and Robert's teenage granddaughter, Joan. Carla had sided with Louis, but in the end, it was the teenage queen who won out, and whether you love her or hate her, Joan of Naples, as we'll see, was quite a woman. Thanks very, very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my wonderful Patreon supporters, starting from the second half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, and that is Marxist Leninist Sicilian, M'Ella, Mike M, Neville, Paradise, Patrizia Kappa, Roberta, Rod, Rodney, the Question Master, Rudy F, Sam, Scott. Sean M. Shelby Stephen T.O. 5 and to the tippy top Maria Montessori and Dante Righieri level, Paolo Lisa K. J.W. Andrew M. Brandon S. Maxime David A. Peter W. Kevin O. David L. And welcome, welcome to the new arrival Rinat. Men Yashiev, spasiba, spasiba Bolshoi and of course the tippy top donor Sen, thank you Sen as always. As well as Rinat I would also very much like to welcome aboard my good friend Federica and Joseph S as well as Taylor. Thank you very much come one come all it's lovely to have you on board and have your support I would also like to thank a couple of reviewers thanks very very much to Hollyoak for your lovely review and we have yet another review from this Ken thanks again this Ken remember if you are so inclined you can get in touch I'll be very happy to hear from you hello at ahistoryofitaly.com At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to our social media, Twitter, come on guys, we need to get to a thousand Twitter followers, let's do it, then Facebook, and our growing Instagram page. You can also, on the support page, become a Patreon supporter and have access to extra content. Once again... Thanks very much to everyone for the most important thing of all, and that is listening to the podcast. And until next time, Arrivederci.
1: And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com and find out how to submit your show.